And now, it's Pop Culture Shock with Ben Jamin and Hollywood. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pop Culture Shock. I am your host, Ben Jamin, with two-time Emmy Award winner, Hollywood. How are you doing today, Hollywood? Hey, very good. It's a great night to watch movies. It is. But all right, so this is the John Hughes high school film back to school edition of Pop Culture Shock. Uh, but before we get into that, we want to just invite you guys all to look at our Facebook page, Pop Culture Shock. We are on Facebook now. And you can chat with us. You can ask us questions. And Hollywood and myself will get back to you. Also, you can catch us on patreon.com forward slash pop culture shock. That's all one word, pop culture shock. So it's patreon.com forward slash pop culture Culture Shock. We are going to have three tiers. We'll have a dollar tier, a five dollar tier, and a ten dollar tier. The uh, you know dollar you tier. Support us. Yes, please. We want to keep this going and be able to bring you guys awesome pop culture content. So the first tier is just a dollar tier, and that gives you um, access to our Discord chat room, and you guys can ask us questions. And then the other two tiers, a five dollar tier and a ten dollar tier, that will allow you to not only enter the Discord chat room to ask us questions and talk to us, it'll give you special show podcast access to uh, special shows that we're going to do. And then also uh, whether you're depending on $5 or $10 tier, you'll get a small or large pop culture related uh, prize, whether it be movie related or music or TV show related or cartoon related. But we are here for you and we want your support, but we also want to thank you for your support. And so what better way than giving gifts? And Holly, uh, before we get into John Hughes Back to School Edition, why don't you tell them about a special book that we want to promote? Yes. I'd love to introduce you to the book called 100 Plus Years of Movies. This is a book that you probably have not heard about, but it is available on Amazon. And this is one of the sponsors of our podcast because his name is Byron and he happens to be my husband. He wrote a book of movie reviews where it was, his idea was before Netflix had all of the algorithms that would connect one film to another where you were looking for a certain type of character or a certain type of storyline and what other kinds of movies are similar to that. Well, you can choose your own adventure with this book. Through his movie reviews, you're gonna see a movie review and then you can flip the page to the next movie review that would be connected to that in some way. So there you go. Well, check out this promo um, talking about that book. It's a cool, awesome book. Uh, we definitely want to promote Byron. He put a lot of uh, hard work and time into that. And what an awesome um, concept, a choose your own adventure uh, movie book. So check out this promo and then we'll be back uh, with our John Hughes Back to School Edition. Flickster Super Reviewer by 
Byron Brubaker on Amazon now. Okay, we are back. Our John Hughes special edition back to school episode of Pop Culture Shock. My name is Ben Jammin, and I am with my lovely host, Hollywood. You ready to get right into it? Absolutely. I love jumping back into 1980s, fully into these iconic movies from when we were growing up. Well, let's give a, give a little intro to the Mr. John Hughes. For those of you that are not familiar, shame on you. And for those that are <laughs> you that are, maybe we'll give you some uh, knowledge, drop some knowledge on you that maybe you did not know about. But um, So my first fun fact about John Hughes is 15 of the John Hughes movies have crossed the magical $100 million domestic gross mark. Can you believe that? 15 of his movies. I do believe it because there's something about the heart and soul of his style that is just incomparable. Now, can you guess what the number one, what his high, biggest box office it was? I, okay, I don't know because I have not looked at these numbers, but I am going to guess Ferris Bueller. No, so no? close, but 1990 Reckon? Home Alone. Home Alone oh. was his biggest box office hit. That actually was held the record highest grossing comedy movie for 20 years. So, heard, oh yeah, I forget that that's like one of his biggest yeah. movies. Like yeah, that you, that you think about his yeah. school of movies, you the, think about his uh, National Lampoon vacation movies, but yeah. you kind of, sometimes I forget Home Alone was one of his oh, uh, films. Also, here's uh, some knowledge for you, Holly. You are big into the Oscars. I used to be. I will definitely be getting into, back into that with you later on this uh, year or, or next year. But zero, Holly. How big is that number? How big is that number zero? It kind of gives a little stake in your heart for how much people love his movies that he's gotten See, no I, w- I went to public school, but I think zero is a very small number. Would you agree? <laughs> it's a what? very small number. Very small number. It's a number. very sad number. It can't even be lonely because it doesn't even, it's not it, even one. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> <laughs> Zero John Hughes films has received any Oscar nominations in any yeah. category. Yeah. And like nowadays, I mean, I obviously think he back got a then. Posthumous, I think the only thing he got was really a posthumous. Like when he died, they gave him, you know, right. one of those. That was kind for, of a pity award. Oh, you did so much with your career. Yes. But by oh, that time, you had been out of Hollywood for a while. We never nominated was... you, even for any <laughs> Oscar. Oh, you just passed away. We're so sad. Here's a pity yeah, Oscar here's a award. Pity Oscar, like... Oh, my word. <laughs> All right, so ladies and gentlemen, John Hughes was born in Lansing, Michigan in 1950. One of his first jobs was a writer for, mm-hmm. I, be- I think it was a newspaper or something, but it was the National Lampoon. It was, yeah, the National Lampoon was actually um, the Harvard College. Harvard. Yeah, it was Harvard, the college. You know, there's there's a few, I think there's a documentary on Netflix actually about that and how it got all, all got started. And the National Lampoon was the start of his comedy writing career at first before he evolved into what John Hughes is. That is awesome. Yeah, and because of that, he would later write four National Lampoon movies. Now, the first one is called Mm -hmm. Class Reunion. That was the first movie that he ever had any part of. Uh, He was a writer for that. I believe, as I'm checking my notes, he acted in it. He had an uncredited, like, acting role in it as well. But, but Class Reunion... Did he have the mullet, though? Because... (laughs) 
I don't know. He might have. One he of my have. favorite things looking back at videos are like he had the best mullet. Oh my goodness. Of all the mullets you, that you will see from You the think 80s. Billy Ray Cyrus had a good mullet? John Hughes. <laughs> John oh, Hughes was iconic. Now, so the National Lampoon, obviously that went he went on to do the National Lampoon vacation, European mm. vacation, and the classic Christmas vacation. I think everybody loves that movie. That's one of the best Christmas Christmas movies of all time. In fact, if you pair that with Home Alone and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles that's always yeah. shown around Thanksgiving time. He's pretty much got the trifecta of best yeah. Christmas movies. In fact, I think he even did um, Home Alone 2. Yeah, so yeah. he's the writer and director for Home Alone 2 as well. So Home Alone, um, both 1 and 2, plus Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and Christmas Vacation. I mean, that is four of the top holiday films yeah. that I personally love watching like every year. You know what I mean? Like, Oh my gosh, yeah. There's so many scenes where they're just they're so memorable that they're just kind of ingrained in your head. <laughs> right, so. right. Okay, so he had 11 movies that opened up as the number one movie in North America. Can you believe that? I can, actually. It says one of the biggest surprises was when Macaulay Culkin and Home Alone outgrossed Sylvester Stallone's Rambo 3 on opening weekend in 1990. Isn't that funny? I just remember that movie just being so iconic. It, like, as a kid, just seeing... <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. And my kids love it, like, nowadays. Like, they, we can watch Home Alone, like, in the middle of July, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. So who do you think, we got to watch uh, and review some of these movies uh, this past weekend, and so we'll talk about them here in a little bit. And as I'm watching them, you know, you see a common theme, you see Anthony Michael Hall, you see Molly Ringwald, but who do you think has been in the most John Hughes films? Who has been in the most, I mean, you would think probably Molly Ringwald, but I'm guessing that this is probably a trick question, so I'm not going to guess Molly Ringwald. I think maybe it's somebody who plays smaller roles then, who just like pops in as cameos. Yes, in you are correct. So would it be... You're getting so close. So it's either, oh, I can't remember his name. The guy with the mustache who played the principal in Ferris Bueller's Oh, Jeffrey out. Jones. Not no. Not him. Okay. No. Or the woman who's like the cute little old woman. What is her name? No. She's, you give up, Molly. Oh, so neither of those. Neither of them. Okay. <laughs> it is John okay, Candy. Oh, John Candy. John oh, Candy. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, Uncle Buck and... Uh, yeah, okay. He, he has so starred many. or done little cameos yeah. in seven John Hughes films. National okay. Lampoon's Vacation. He was like the yeah. guard at Wally World. Mm -hmm. Planes, Strange, and Automobiles. The Great Outdoors. Uncle Buck. Home Alone. She's Having a Baby with Kevin Bacon. Yeah. And Career Opportunities. Oh, okay. Wow. That's so, more obscure. Yeah. And then my last little note. John Hughes set many of his films in the fictional Shermer, Illinois. Mm -hmm. So a lot of his films take place in like the suburbs kind of, a of suburb Chicago. Of Chicago. Yeah. Yes, yes. Which I just thought that was so cool. I think a fun fact that I just realized or remembered for the first time. Does that make sense? Like I think I knew it and then I, I forgot remember. about it and then I remembered <laughs> again for the first time. And that's because Ferris Bueller, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, and Sixteen Candles all took place at the same high school. Shermer High School in Shermer, Illinois. Isn't that crazy? That is so crazy because I was just thinking about all the different types of characters that even Molly Ringwald herself like plays. Yeah. That it's funny that she could be in the same school and be a different person. Yeah. But like not, you know, like in passing. So 
he kind of had his own Brat Pack universe. Like oh he, yeah, when you think of when you think of like a superhero universe, and you think of right, the right. characters and where they they live, they live all in this this universe of the same kind of even just thinking of his style of writing of these characters and these storylines with their magical realism things that happen in a magical sense but it's also still in the middle of their depictions of being teenagers during this angsty time in their life and the coming of age that world is almost kind of frozen and it's almost a bubble because even the characters are so focused on themselves and their own thinking and worries and um, all of their different feelings about the people around them in this little bubble. So that is a really good way of kind of seeing his um, all of his stories kind of interwoven together. I think that's so cool. Like, I think it would be so cool for someone to create, even if it's just like a music video or something to where we can sit there and watch like John Bender walk out of the detention hall and almost run into Ducky or like... You know, or just Ferris Bueller, you know, skipping school with Andrew or Amelia Estevez from the, you know, or yeah. or Molly Ringwald's princess character from Breakfast Club or something like that. I think that'd be so cool. Yeah, they... she, and Molly Ringwald's like princess character would almost be one of the girls making fun of the Molly Ringwald from Pretty in Pink. <laughs> yes, and, and 16, 16 Candles. candles. Yes. You know, where she's like... That is too funny. <laughs> All right, so let's go into our film reviews. We got to see, okay. both of us got to see a few movies this past weekend. We got yeah. to time travel to the 1980s. I tell you what, I'm a child of the 80s. I love these films. And anytime we want to talk about John Hughes, I'm all about that. And stay tuned. I think, Holly, if you're up for it, I think we're going to do a another John Hughes edition. This one was back to school. I think we might have a part two future episode where we can yes. where we can dig into more of his later films, like The Home yes. Alones and maybe Christmas Vacation. And That um, would be great because there's so many connections to some of those films and some of the storylines that kind of keep popping up in in the ways that he tells the story that like there's there's not enough time for all to talk about all of his movies in this podcast we're only focusing on right. those high school movies so it'll be great to move on to all of his other characters another time because uncle buck and mr mom are two of my favorite yes like yes. movies of like like 80s movies period whether they're his movies or not like I, I would sit and watch those vhs's at my aunt's house and yep. like i just they come with these memories of my childhood and like some movies you just equate with special memories from your childhood and yeah so we definitely have to have a second a part two of oh i love it so <laughs> Stay tuned for that, all you listeners out there, for a future episode of Back Back to the F- Movies with John Hughes. Um, okay, so let's uh, dig into our first uh, film reviews. Um, I'll let you go first. What was your What was your film that you got to got to review this past weekend? So I actually watched three of the films that you and I kind of talked about. Two of them I'd already seen several times. The, the two movies that I've seen several times are, of course, Ferris Bueller and The Breakfast Club. Awesome, so, awesome. You know, I could have watched those again, but I really wanted to, to dig back and see Pretty in Pink. I needed to go into a whole Molly Ringwald yes. um, world for a little bit because I remember her so much from The Breakfast Club, but I could only remember scenes from 16 Candles and Pretty in Pink. So. I watched both of those and it was 
really fun to kind of jump back and remember how it felt to watch these stories and how when I've seen these before, I have a different sense of like some of the comedy that's even written into them. Some of the ways that the characters are talking to each other or alluding to things that I wasn't really paying attention to back then or things that nowadays would be kind of common with certain archetypes of characters. Mm -hmm. And but back in the world of the 80s things were still really vague about some of the characters and I just have to say it cracks me up to remember how many times the nerd gets to end up with the hot girl true <laughs> It like like somehow something happens and then like the the nerdy little pipsqueak guy or whatever like the hottest girl in the school or one of the the hot like popular girls finally notices them and <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I tell just, you what like that theme is so ingrained in a lot of the 80s kind of movies that just stuck out to me again like remembering like I wonder if that has something to do with like even some of the ways that society you know treats relationships sometimes that it's okay for like the nerdy guy to get the hot girl but what what about the the hot guy who goes for the nerdy girl <laughs> <laughs> true true um well give us your take on um i want to go back to the main characters give us your take on 16 candles and then i'll give you my take on that okay. since we both okay, checked so that my one out my take on 16 candles i can't believe that she so this goes to the whole magical realism because like it's really funny that she can just be staring longingly at somebody and like accidentally like in the same space and then not with this person that she's madly in love with mm -hmm. and like has such a huge crush on and then it magically manifests into he notices her and you know like with the note in the the beginning and spoiler alert <laughs> the guy that she has the crush on you know it's, Jake Ryan it's, yeah Jake Ryan yeah <laughs> for it to just all magically manifest in that way like he was he was kind of like staring through he her. was doing a lot of staring I like hmm. I don't know if he was staring at her he was like staring through her he just seemed <laughs> he just totally lost a lot like, of, like he was in his own twilight zone yeah. there for a while <laughs> in his zone. I'm like so how does this turn into an actual like and then he he comes and you know picks her up at the end and they're all of a sudden and I'm really sad because I remember as a kid thinking that very last scene the iconic scene literally of the 16 candles oh okay yeah with them with the I birthday cake yeah, with the birthday okay. cake, and they and then they, you know, they kiss over the the cake. I remember that scene being a lot longer right. for some reason in my head. And then when I watched it again the other day, it was day, like five seconds. I was like, that was that was such a quick ending. Like like it just it kind of came out of nowhere to actually go back and 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 watch how the story unfolded, and then be like, oh, okay, this is what's happening now. The, the funny thing with that is she's <laughs> longing for him. She really she's a huge crush on him. I love yeah. the I love the um when she's down in the dumps and she's laying on the couch and her dad talks to her and he goes it's yeah. she's like it's just so hard and he goes that's why they call it a crush and if it wasn't hard it I mean if it wasn't it would it would be easy and it's just right. like the whole time she's crushing hard on him this whole movie and they're yeah. kind of doing a hit and miss like she's somewhere and he's not and then he shows up and she's gone 
on. And then all of a sudden, they, they don't go on any dates. We don't see any yeah. first date shenanigans. No, like, it's just he shows up. <laughs> he shows up at her sister's wedding, picks her up in his nice uh, sports car, and then they go back to I guess her place. A mind reader, I think. Or Magically, like, he has oh. a cake somewhere. He gets a cake. Yes. Maybe he stopped at the grocery store. I have no idea. And then they right. ki- they kiss over the candlelit cakes, yeah. and that's your iconic scene. But it's like, how did you get there? Like you. How just- did we get there? Exactly. Like. I think we're missing something at the end. Like, so many stories back then just kind of jumped to the ending. Yeah. And it's kind of funny if you work backwards and you're like, how did it get there exactly? Because, okay, I know that you wanted this or that to happen, so I guess this is what happened. So, 16 Candles came out in 1984, written and directed by John Hughes. Of course, the location was Chicago. Starred Molly Ringwald, Anthony Michael Hall, Michael Schofling, who played Jake Ryan, and a very young and nerdy John and Jones. Cusack. Did you notice yes. that? I, oh, yeah. I love when they I both are in movies together because you know, you don't get to see that that often. Yes. Um, the Cusacks. But, I have, um, I've always had a fascination with the Cusacks because they always play such interesting characters. Yes. And like from the beginning, this was way, way back. Yeah. And very cool to see. Like Joan Cusack, I don't think she even had a line in the movie, but she was the nerdy girl. She had the, like the, the brace thing yep. on her mouth. She passes out at the drunk party. Like she hardly <laughs> was even in it. Now, John Cusack yeah. actually got some lines, got to be a a nerdy uh, friend to Anthony Michael Hall. Um, How about this? How about this question for you, Miss Holly? Who is the biggest John Hughes nerd slash geek slash dork because I tell you what almost every film at least the school films yeah had those and maybe that's a reflection on him like when he was younger but here are your choices you have Anthony Michael Hall as Ted Farmer Ted the geek in okay. 16 Candles you also have Long Duck Dong we can kind of <laughs> put him in a nerdy yeah, yes. part in 16 Candles you had John Cryer as Ducky in Pretty in Pink mm-hmm. who's kind of like maybe not nerd but kind of like geek not, yeah geek-ish. just definitely out there yeah you have Anthony Michael Hall. Boy, did he visit this uh, stereotype quite a bit. But in The Breakfast Club, as Brian, Club as well. he was kind of like maybe an, a geek or a nerd. Uh, and then you, and then you have him again in the Weird Science. Now, I didn't get to review Weird Science. It's been a while since we've yeah, seen that. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen that. But I know that he's like a genius nerd, and they create this woman, you know, Kelly LeBrock. Yeah. So I kind of know that. But, well, so, it's just sad that the poor guy has been typecast right, in that role. Right. So, I mean, of course he's the biggest piece because they were written that way. <laughs> so maybe not who is the biggest nerd, geek, dork, dweeb, whatever you want to call it, but who is your favorite? Let's go that route. Okay, well, in that list that you just gave me, yeah. it's going to be John Cryer. Oh, Ducky? Ducky. Yes, Ducky. I'm, I just, because, I, I don't know, I just really feel for him, and I love what he brings to that character. I do, and too. And it's just so unique. And we'll so, talk, yeah, that's a we'll spoiler talk about alert. That later. That's going to be one of my, I'm already telling too. you right now. He's one of my pop five characters. He's one of so. mine too. Okay, so here's a question for you. Okay. Whatever happened, not to Baby Jane, whatever <laughs> happened to Jake Ryan? Former actor, Michael Yeah, Schofling. what happened to him? I was wondering. I'm like, hmm. He was an actor. He was a model. He retired from all of that in 1991. Really? He didn't like Hollywood then? <laughs> he must not have. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, I think his last film was... Confusing him with Matt Dillon. 
Allen. He almost looks bit. like him. He kind of looks like him. Yes, I'm looking it up. His last film, 1991, was... Anyways, he is now married. He owns a woodworking shop in Pennsylvania of all places. Oh, Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. So his final film in 1991... <gasps> oh, I remember that. Wild Let's Hearts see. Can't Be Broken. And that was yes. with, um, oh, Gabriel Anwar. Yeah, I remember that. Wow. He was in Mermaids with Cher and Christina Ritchie. Mm -hmm. Some other movies that no one's ever really heard of. But you think coming out of 16 Candles, like he would have just gotten all these roles. And he, he only think, lasted, yeah. I mean, 16 Candles was made in 84. He only lasted about seven years in the business. And then I don't know if they phased him out or if he phased himself out when he got married and well, stuff. Well, you know, with young, fresh, beautiful faces, that that engine just keeps going. So yeah. you either That's stay true. in and keep chugging along or they're just going to find someone yes yeah. like that and well, find he, another pretty face and, and he definitely that. had to look <laughs> mm -hmm. and i could see the matt dillon vibe like you said i can <laughs> I, I can totally see that and the longing stares just like staring yes <laughs> Now, um, John Hughes had a way of taking, like, if we talk about a little bit about the music, the soundtracks of some of these films, yeah. he had yeah. a way of finding, I mean, nowadays you would call it like one hit wonders or whatever, but these obscure bands yeah. and uses their songs mm -hmm. in the uh, soundtracks of his films. And then they become like huge hits. Like for 16 Candles, yes. Spand uh, Spandau Ballet, True, that song is like one of the top 100, you know, one hit wonders of the 80s and then i really liked at the very end the 16 candles song is done the by the stray song, cats yeah. so the straight mm -hmm. i like the stray cats um kind of like a swing swing type band yeah. there well, okay so it's a fun fact because i have a fun fact about, about that because music was a huge part of john hughes's life and he used music as part of his even his writing experience like as he's writing these characters as he's developing these characters he would play music and songs that he wanted to kind of fill in that that space as he was writing even so it turns out he at some point i don't remember what the year is or anything but throughout his career there he did start a record label just so he could have some control over what music was going into his um his movies which is you know unheard of it's really great instead of working with the, the record labels and trying to work out deals on using the different music from the different artists and in their, into their movies he's like oh i'm gonna just have my own record label and let's get these artists in here and have his own pipeline of music that's going into his movies and so it is interesting like even in several of the movies to go back and i'm listening and i'm like oh he has actual unique songs that go with the names of the characters even of oh these, yeah of you know these stories and it's so cool and and uh even like we'll we'll probably we'll talk about breakfast club a little bit later but mm -hmm. like simple minds don't you forget about me i mean that mm -hmm. song is iconic and iconic and don't i you and it's oh, just so it's funny because if these songs i think his films made these songs huge hits would you agree yes I, and I love all of them because, like I said, I'm a child of the '80s. I love my '80s films. I love my '80s uh, music. Did you have they anything go hand else? In hand. Yeah. Did you have they anything really else do. about Sixteen Candles, or you want to dig Not into? Not really about uh, Sixteen Candles. That's, you okay. know, I it wasn't my favorite. I, Mine either. You know, Molly Ringwald. I really want to like her, <laughs> but that was her first. That was like one of her first movie roles. It was. 
coming out yeah. of like she was on the first season of the facts of life so that was yeah she was very young in that movie probably 15 or 16 like yeah like she's supposed to like be she's but. very doe-eyed that very like soft and um innocent look to her you know which really works for her character i'm not saying anything bad about her character because it really does work for for her, but it just wasn't my favorite. Okay, so let's go into Pretty in Pink. <laughs> yeah, it came out in 1986. Um, John Hughes wrote it. He was also executive producer of it. Of course, the location, once again, uh, Chicago. Uh, so what was mm-hmm. your take on Pretty in Pink? Rewatching that for the first time. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the the, the relationships that Molly Ringwald's character has with her co-worker. Annie Potts? Um, yeah, Annie Potts. Oh my word, Ooh, she's hilarious. And you get a little sense of her relationship with her dad and and just the, her obliviousness to Ducky. So I think she has a little, like this character has a little more of, you know, the ins and outs of a teenager, like feelings about like all of the, the mix of people in their lives and how they interact with them and, and how sometimes those overlap into leading to you know bad behaviors and the ways that they treat each other. So so I really liked it, but I have to actually compare it to some kind of wonderful, which I watched. Did you say you didn't get to see that? I didn't get to see that. So let's okay. we'll talk about that here in a moment. Okay. Pretty in Pink though, did you know the original ending, and spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this okay. these films, from John Hughes. Please go out, rent them, get them from your local library because some of they're not on like so Netflix or Hulu. I've already checked. A yeah. lot of them are not on Netflix. I so found you- I found them on HBO Max actually okay. and my DVR from from cable. Like okay. they are playing sometimes on some of the cable stations that you can DVR. So if you're a John Hughes fan, you've already seen these and maybe we're taking you down memory lane and uh, and maybe you haven't seen them in a long time. If you haven't seen them, shame on you. Thank you for listening to us, but please go out and get or check out these films. Now, Pretty in Pink, the original ending was supposed to have Andy, which is Molly Ringwald, choose Molly Ducky, Ringwald. not Blaine. Mm-hmm. Blaine was played by okay. Andrew McCarthy. This is what test audiences saw whenever they first okay. had the film. The test audience saw her choose Ducky, John Cryer, over Andrew McCarthy's Blaine character. The test audiences booed it and re- uh, rejected it. And so the ending was scrapped and changed to Andy and Blaine getting ending up together. Isn't that hilarious? That is. Like the and whole now time. that leads me to believe what I was going to say about some kind of wonderful gives me even more context to that. Okay, I mean, you're, um, the whole interesting. The whole time you're kind of rooting for Ducky, but yes. it's not like Blaine is a bad person. Like I, I thought Andrew McCarthy did right. really well. I enjoy yeah. him. He's another mm-hmm. one of those '80s actors, like from Mannequin and uh, Saint Elmo's yeah. Fire. But like, where is he now? Like, what happened to Andrew McCarthy? Right. What isn't happened a, to that guy too? Like, but I thought, he, I thought the Blaine character, he was, he was a good guy. You know? Yeah, yeah he, he was, was rich. Really he was preppy, funny. but he was a good guy. But he had a heart. He did. He wanted to choose something different. If she would only have believed in him, like he believed in her, like right. So you said at the end, yeah, that was yeah. So I mean, I guess choosing between him and Ducky, I mean, she made a good choice. I mean, Ducky was would have been a good choice too. Uh, I just it's funny to me. Well, knowing that now and seeing how Ducky's character was still able to save face then by the way that they they wrote it, where he's like, I'm gonna be a better guy. I can tell he's a good guy. You need to, you know 
follow him, yada yada. Like, yeah. At least they gave him a sense I can hold my head up and, you know, and not worry about you as much as, you know, that it could have been just complete heartbreak and utter fiasco. <laughs> So it's almost like he sacrificed himself. He's like, he was the better man. He's like, you know what? You really like him. I'll always be there for you. So. And the coded thing, I mean, not to get into too much of this, but it is interesting that characters of that time, of like writing characters, that you could almost argue that he may have been a gay character and that she was his best friend. And he needed to show his love a little bit for her as, you know, so that that actually would help him in the social sphere that they, that they were in as well. Right. Um, but yeah, we don't need to go well, too far into that. But like, I think that that is an interesting, it's, it's a way to look back at it because some of the characters that you see that they, they're different, they're artistic, they're, yeah. they, they have their own sense of the world. They're always kind of an outsider. They've got a different way of looking at everything. And they're always like an outcast in the social realm of, you know, someone's pushing them aside in the hallway in high school. Somebody's like nudging them into their the lockers or beating them up or, you know, always saying derogatory things to them, but without actually, you know, kind of going into that. So I have a suspicion that his character was still going to be okay because I I have that and I don't know I haven't I haven't read that anywhere that's just the take that I get like from like watching his character and like feeling like and looking back from a 2020 2019 the the world that we live in now and looking back at sometimes characters that couldn't really be themselves so they were in a box of this is this is what I can show about myself right now and in this storyline and there you go <laughs> well he even his character at the very end like they're at that dance he mm-hmm. would never Molly leaves. Oh yeah, some other, some other girl girls checking like, him out. Yeah, and he's like, "Who? Me? Are you looking at me? You check it. You know what I mean?" So yeah, yeah. So he ends up with a pretty girl. That's the, right. the that's the quintessential John Hughes nerd, right? That they get to end up with the pretty girl anyway. <laughs> but I tell you what, one of my favorite parts from that that movie, Pretty in Pink, and I'll and I'll leave you with this, and then you can move on to um, some kind of wonderful. I absolutely love when he when they're in the record store and he does the whole. Try a little tenderness dance. Song and dance. Oh my See? word! That's my point. <laughs> to Otis Redding, try a little tenderness. That is like an iconic he is part. A performer. But he was so good. He was so, so good. And he did a lot of good stuff before. Like, a lot of people know John Cryer mm-hmm. from Two and a Half Men. But this in the 80s, he did another 80s movie called Hiding Out, where he was like an adult, and he was uh, being chased by somebody that wanted to kill him because he had, like, information about him. And so mm-hmm. he shaves, changes, dyes his hair, and he goes and goes back to high school. And he kind of hides out with his cousin at high school. Uh, it's called Hiding Out. And so yeah, the killer can't find him. And that's a really good one. And then, of course, he was in, like, the... The Hot Shots movies, the parodies yeah. of the Top Gun films. He was in those oh, comedies. I forgot so, about we, those. My goodness. So, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> number three film that we got to check out this weekend. Now, you got to check it out, but yeah. I've watched yeah. it recently. But go ahead. Some Kind of Wonderful. Some Kind of Wonderful. Now, we have to talk about it in connection to Pretty in Pink, just because I believe, and now that you kind of gave, gave me a little context into the ending and how it had to change, 
I think some kind of wonderful is really just a, hey, wait a minute, I'm gonna do it my way. Again, let's let's redo it, you know. So John Hughes wrote and produced it, but it was directed by somebody else. Yes, nineteen eighty seven um, film. Yes. And who so does the star sexes? So so this has the char- the three characters that are switched from Pink. Yes, but so you instead have instead Eric- of Andy who is the girl, we have uh-oh, Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz. <laughs> And and then we have the wonderful and lovely Mary Stuart Masterson, who is his best friend. Right. And Leah Thompson, who is the girl that he has a crush on. Right. So we've like flipped the script a little bit and just kind of changed the sexes. Now Leah and Thompson we- and Eric Stoltz briefly worked together on the Back to the Future film before Eric yeah. Stoltz kinda got kind of went took it too meta, took it too method acting, and they didn't really and like he got axed and, and then he got like- axed and he brought in Michael J. Fox and now you have the <laughs> iconic Back to the Future. So now you yeah. bring Leah Thompson back with Eric Stoltz and you add in the lovely and talented Mary Stewart Amazing Masterson. Amazing Mary Stewart Masterson. Yeah, so his best friend is Watts. And, and that's another reason why I kind of was mentioning before about John Cryer's character, Ducky, maybe having potential like issue of you know of gender like what right who he's interested in because what mary stewart masterson's character is made fun of a lot and is kind of teased about possibly being a lesbian and well she's like um, a major tomboy yeah she's just a tomboy right exactly she fixes Um, cars yeah and she likes she likes whatever she likes um just like Ducky, likes whatever he likes. Right, right. He's kind of an outsider and different. Um, but I think she brings so much depth to the character just in the way that she can change from scene to scene in knowing what's going to kind of give her a little more depth to how she's interacting with Eric Stoltz, you know, or interacting with um, the Leah Thompson character where, you know, where she's kind of like, you better treat him well or whatever. I forget the line, but, you know, when they go on the date and everything and she's like, I'm watching you. (laughs) Right, and Leah Thompson's character, she was not like your typical rich, snuck up. Popular snob. Snob. She was nice. She was similar to Andrew McCarthy in the fact that she did have heart. She did want to try to be a good person she is interested in this guy who's not rich who had who seems to have something special about him and not like all the other rich preppy guys so it's so it's only it's literally it, almost pretty in pink but it is the sexist now, the more you describe it it is a flip the script <laughs> gender role film but right but and it's still good this it's still is good the one where the ending actually is probably what john hughes wanted then because True. because it did end up being where you know spoiler alert <laughs> Watts did get to end up getting the earrings from Eric Stoltz and being able to kind of like through through the way that she you know showed the ways that she loved him throughout and the ways that she supported him no matter what even if he was trying to date this other woman and stuff that she did get end up getting the happy ending so it was I really liked it it was. You know, totally 80s. So it's in the bubble of, you know, the movie. Would that movie be made now? Probably not. (laughs) But in in the universe, like we were talking, in the universe of John Hughes, this was a great film. Well, and even looking at the music from oh, this the music movie, was fantastic! And I mean, and some kind of wonderful. Some kind of wonderful. The main, the title track from uh, Grand Funk Railroad. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's so good. I mean, he he is brilliant when it comes to the music that he also puts in his films too. Okay, any more on some kind of wonderful? No, let's 
You pretty okay. much get a sense of, I well, really liked it. Let's go down to uh, see Ferris Bueller and see if he's uh, skipping school or if he's staying home. Let's knock on his door. Let's see how he's doing. So Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 1986. So this is uh, in between Pretty in Pink and Some Kind of Wonderful, the uh, two films we've already talked about. So, of course, directed by John Hughes, the location, can you guess? Chicago, of course. But stars Matthew Chicago. Broderick. Chicago. Matthew Broderick is the main character, Ferris Bueller. Cleveland's own Alan Ruck plays his best friend mm-hmm. Cameron. Former love of Tom Cruise, Miss Mia Sarah plays Sloan. And then Jennifer Grey, pre-Dirty Dancing Jennifer Grey. <laughs> Pre-nose job. Yes. Ben Stein <laughs> and a small part by Charlie Sheen. I kind of forgot that Charlie Sheen had a small little part right. at, the, at the police station. But, mm-hmm. so, classic movie. When you talk about some of the 80s classic films, Ferris Bueller's Day Off probably comes up in 90% of people's top 10 list or whatever you want to top 25 or whatever. My first question is who names their kid Ferris? Ferris. (laughs) Have you ever known anybody in the real world named Ferris before or after that film? I can personally say I have never heard of anybody named Ferris. What do you think? True. True. True that. (laughs) You would agree too, right? Some of my, (laughs) some of my favorite quotes, I mean, all these movies have really good quotes. Um, but Ferris Bueller, I love when Cameron is on the phone to the principal and he's like, pardon my French, but you're an a-hole. And he just like says that to the principal <laughs> on the phone. Of course, the iconic Ferris Bueller line, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And I tell you what, how true is that today in 2020 with everything that's going on? Life moves pretty yes. fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Still iconic today. And then, of course, Ben Stein with Bueller. 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 Dry eyes. Bueller. You know, like... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, and even also in the context of thinking of we're in 2020, right? And yes. school looks completely different now. And kids used to dream of having that sick day where they could go and do whatever they wanted. Right. You know, and now it's kind of, it's very fascinating that kids are home and doing virtual school. And so I, it's kind of fascinating to think about if Ferris Bueller, the storyline happened within today now right you know like thinking about like how is that gonna you know i'm sure next year we'll probably have that film and i just i just gave the person the idea (laughs) to make the movie right (laughs) (laughs) but it's fascinating to think of you know it's almost nostalgic now to to remember you know snow days and and sick days from school and being able to stay home right because now it's totally different with the kids already being home or needing to you know kind of shift around with covid so um that's Uh, just a, a side thought (laughs) <laughs> I've definitely skipped my uh, plenty days of school back in high school. And I, I tell you what, I never did hardly half the stuff that he got away <laughs> with doing in one day. He did that I all in one day. I never skipped school. I was, if I was skipping school, it would have been for like, like a band thing <laughs> or some kind of church thing. <laughs> so you were a little goody two shoes? I was definitely goody two shoes. <laughs> Made up That's all okay. my homework, and I got extra credit. <laughs> there you go. 
there you go. My next question for you from Ferris Bueller's Day Off is, how come nobody wears a seatbelt in 80s films? They are flying out of the high school parking lot. Nobody is wearing a seatbelt. And I swear every 80s film, probably even 90s films, almost 90% of them. And my facts are not always correct, but this one might be. No, but it's... Yeah. Where are the seatbelts? Like, nobody wears seatbelts in these films. I don't think it was, like, Mandatory enforced or... yet. Oh. Yeah. I don't I, I mean, don't I get remember it. the 80s. I, I was a little kid in the 80s. Mom's arm. I can't tell you my age too much, but I remember sitting on my dad's lap driving as oh. a little kid oh, out man. in the country. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So. So, the 80s were still pretty, like, risky. <laughs> yes. I, that's just one uh, one little question I had. Um, while watching the parade scene, my wife and I are watching this together, and she, while watching the parade scene, he's up on the float, he's dancing, and my wife tells me, this would never happen in real life. And I said, which part? And she said, all of it. <laughs> yes. I know. I was just like, well, and it goes back to magical realism, right? Like, that right. is that's what is so fun about these movies is that you can take your imagination to places and, and see how it would play out a little bit. Right. Like the way the characters would want to have things happen. So if this was, you know, his big day, of course, he would be the star of the parade. <laughs> True. Another observation that I found, these little quirky observations, how does Jennifer Grey, who who was phenomenal as the, the sister, um, she was so jealous, she was so mad that he would get away with all this stuff. How does Jennifer Grey not notice that it's her pretty principle that she kicks in the face like three times in the kitchen she kicks him in the face like three times he passes out she runs upstairs my wife's like how does she not know that she just kicked the principal in the face and i was like <laughs> to her he was an intruder she's not paying attention to who it was she thought it was ferris she wanted to scare him he jumped out to scare her as well she kicks him in the face like three times and then screams and runs upstairs it was just funny when it comes to films in general you always have to have that suspension of disbelief right right, right. i tell you what my favorite scene for Ferris Bueller, I mean, it's one. There's so many, but the the one that stood out was when he's trying to beat his parents home at the very end. He's running through the backyards. He's like, oh, you yeah. know, and then he he runs past these two ladies that are just like sun tanning, and then he totally like stops and comes back and introduces himself. And he's jumping over the bushes, and he runs out in the street and almost gets hit by his sister. And then she like gives him a look like, oh, it's on. I'm gonna beat you home <laughs> so you can finally get busted by mom and dad. And then he, he makes it home just in the nick of time. It's just so funny. I, I, that whole scene was hilarious. I have two favorites. My, real quick. Yeah, the, go ahead. The scene, obviously the scene where the car just goes off. Oh, the Ferrari. He's kind of, he's, yeah, the Ferrari. I forgot. Oh that my goodness! The, yeah, the red car, the Ferrari. <laughs> yes, like, that's a classic, the, iconic the Ferrari. scene. I mean, that it's just because, like, the, I remember the first time I saw that, I was just like, oh, "What yeah. is he going to do? His dad like, is I going to kill him." Like, ah, that's so crazy! How do they do that? Like, why would they do that? Um, because I was such a goody two shoes. I just I, like no, no. No, that's happening. Right. And then, of course, I love the very, 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 very end where it's the credits and he comes back on. Oh. He's like, oh, you're still there? The movie's yeah. over. The movie's over. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> Like that. I mean, that's an iconic moment too. Yeah. They even, uh, I think they even like um, did a homage to it in I mean, the dead, the end of Deadpool. Like he's been, like Deadpool comes out in his bathroom several times. Yeah. yeah, 
Hey, the movie's over. Go home. Okay, so our last film review, you and I both didn't get to see it this past weekend, but we are very familiar with it. Very familiar, and we are yeah. talking about probably his most iconic film, 1985's The Breakfast Club. Now, he directed it, he executive produced it, he wrote it. He even had a small cameo, I think at the very end, he's Brian's dad that comes to pick him up from the, the detention. Obviously, it stars Amelia S. Tevez, Ali Sheedy, Molly Ringwald, Judd Nelson, and Anthony Michael Hall again. So now he's already had Anthony Michael Hall. He's already had Molly Ringwald. And now we're adding in uh, Ali Sheedy, uh, Emilio Estevez, and Judd Nelson. And I tell you what, this film is one of my all-time favorites. I knew when we were doing this that I wanted to concentrate on some of the other ones that I haven't seen in a long time. I am very familiar with Breakfast Club. I absolutely love it. What are your thoughts on the film? Well, it's like you said it is the quintessential high school movie it represents all of us no matter which one of those characters you're relating to and and it also represents none of us because <laughs> right. we're sometimes a mix of some of those characters but sometimes in different settings you're one way and that's that is the bubble of high school you know like when you're in high school you're stuck as that one thing that all the other kids think that you are right and right. that is universal to high schools <laughs> everywhere very true you know? and and i think that's why it still hits the mark today i mean my teenage niece i watched it with her and she's like oh my gosh i love this you know and like there's so many things that just still translate across the board nowadays to what it was back then and so yeah it just it's iconic yes and i have obtained a script from the breakfast club and i would love to do a theater play version of it or oh, even cool. like a reader's, like a reader's theater, theater version of it yeah. i think it would be so cool i think it is it's that film that's iconic that even teenagers today mm -hmm. would watch it would like it love it be they able do. to quote it they follow it they follow yeah when it comes to the character Characters, what just really sticks with people when you're, you know, once you've gotten through the storyline and when you're, the movie's over, it's like you've been on a journey because you're exploring what these characters at first are kind of putting out into the world about themselves. And as they get to know each other, as they are stuck with each other, right. you're getting more and more of the story of why they are the way they are. And it really does go into some deep territory that really you don't see a lot in movies of the time with humanizing some of the things about teenage life that they are thinking and that as teenagers today even deal with um, relationships with your parents relationships with the opposite sex learning about yourself and how much you want to put into your future or what other people think about what you should do versus what you want to do for your life and deeper i you know storylines of, of depression anxiety you know suicide like those kind of topics that you know may not have come up as much in other films that just kind of show a range of like the depth of teenage experience so I, I think 
that's why it sticks around more too because of that heart that it's not just like oh you're stuck as the jock you're the pretty princess girl you're the goth girl like by the end they right. literally are coming together and seeing each other in a new way because they're realizing that they are connected to each other on deeper levels once they can see past the facade that they have. So, go Brat Pack. <laughs> yes, and I'm looking up some of the quotes from that film. Mm. I love, and I love the rebelness in John Bender. I love when he, whenever the principal is like, mm -hmm. hey, you know, you want another detention? Yes. All right, there, you know, there you go. There's another one. Fine. You know, mm -hmm. uh, keep talking. I'll give you another one. Yes. You know, and he keeps just doing that whole thing. I love that because it's just like when you get ticked off to that point to where you just you just want to keep mouthing off to whoever your the authority is that's yelling at you i've definitely had those moments you know right that's just a that's just a i guess for me that's just a fun moment because i have had and <laughs> have had some of those moments and i can see you being yeah like <laughs> when it comes to authority sometimes yeah i can do a little john bender and and get myself into a little <laughs> bit more trouble sure yeah <laughs> what do you mean right right of course and then, of course... Yeah, the, I'm going to snap back. Yeah. yeah. Of course, the <laughs> iconic uh, final thing that we see, uh, Brian says, Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. What we did was wrong, but we think you're crazy to make it an essay telling you who we think we are. You see, you see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions, but we found out that each one of us is a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Breakfast Club. I mean, that's, that is just uh, yeah. iconic. No other way to describe it. Right. Yeah. I absolutely love, I love The Breakfast Club. I love all these movies that we got to review, some more than others. But, and we'll discuss that here in a little bit. I do but, have to say though, at the time when I saw this as a teenager, I did not like it. Yeah. But now I do as an adult. Well, and I think that's the funny that's thing. That's one I, known I have about The Breakfast Club. Because, and maybe I was too close to it when I was like, younger and just being like oh yeah everyone will magically get to you know get along eventually they could just get to know each other because i had a hard time in high school i was totally you know a dork and like not popular and just you know all of you know <laughs> and and just like i'm like oh, i can't i i remember like not liking it but now i as an adult i'm like oh <laughs> that was good i'm like high school wasn't that bad it was right. bad but <laughs> These movies um, make, have so much heart, though, that make you feel like you can get past it. So they did that movie on a $1 million budget, and it brought out $51.5 I remember actually seeing an interview with John Hughes about the fa that fact, because he actually wrote it so that it could be a cheaper movie to make. Yeah. And that's why it all takes place in one room, for the most part. Pretty much the library. So everything took place mostly in the library. You write a script that is all in one location then you have more depth that you could even put into the characters because right. you're not needing to explain other locations or have things that are more superfluous to uh, the storyline by moving around to different locations. You're in one room. You have to have character development. You have to have things that are really 
coming alive in that space so that you have a movie that can last <laughs> over an hour. I'm looking at the reception for The Breakfast Club. Roger Ebert, you know, when they, mm -hmm. back when they had Siskel and Ebert, I remember watching them yeah. all the time. Roger Ebert awarded it three stars, three out of four, and called the performances wonderful, adding that the film was more or less predictable, but doesn't need earth-shaking revelations. It's about kids who grow willing to talk to one another, and it has a surprisingly good ear for the way they speak. And then Gene Siskel gave the film three and a half stars out of four. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is great that from the beginning, as soon as people started seeing the movie, they were really connected to it. And Gene Siskel wrote, This confessional formula has worked in films as different as Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Big Chill, My Dinner with Andre, and it works here mm -hmm. too. It works especially well in The Breakfast Club because we keep waiting for the film to break out of its claustrophobic set and give us a typical teenage movie sex or violence scene. That doesn't happen. Happen, yeah. much to our delight mm -hmm. so that's good i mean they got some yeah. good reviews it's i think and fuzzy and sometimes we just need a good warm and fuzzy story right and i think it's i think it has gained a cult following like i if it wasn't big then it's huge now like yeah I think there's a cult following behind it. Uh, people absolutely love it. One of the probably best 80s films or most popular 80s films, I should say. All right, so that is our film reviews, the John Hughes edition. We are now going into our sizzles and fizzles. Now, of course, this whole episode of Pop Culture Shock is all about John Hughes back to school editions. So our sizzles mm -hmm. and our fizzles uh, this week is going to be about that. So Holly, why don't you give me your sizzles and I'll tell you mine. Okay. And then we'll go into our fizzles. What's I your have uh, sizzles? one main sizzle. Just looking back at these characters, the costume, the music, the everything that came together, just to have all these memories and fun thoughts about everything. But I just have to give my sizzle to Annie Pot oh, from nice. Pretty in Pink. She was Andy's friend um, who was older, who worked at the, the record store with her, and her outfits her supportive nature to her little friend. Just everything about Annie Potts in that movie, I was just so delighted by. And and just when I saw her hair for the very first scene again, it was like, oh my God, like 80s hair. Oh my goodness. 80s costumes and just all the things that were cool. And it was almost like she channeled uh, Cindy Lauper a little bit. Yeah. Do you get that yeah, feeling? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And, and just the fact that like her, her character was, you know, kind of a pivotal character. For, for Molly Ringwald's character to have that pink dress to even turn into what she ended up in. So I just, I have to have a sizzle for, for her because that's after watching all of these movies again and just being delighted by by her over everybody else. And there's, you know, as I'm watching that film, there's also the, the moment when her and Ducky, they're hanging out at the bar and, and then uh, Molly Ringwald and uh, Andrew McCarthy come in. But it's, you almost get that feeling like maybe her and Ducky will hook up. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> yeah. Like she's only probably a few years older than he is because she, you yeah. know, at, you yeah, know, she owned that record. I was confused by that a little because I'm like, I think she's older, but like right. what's that <laughs> kind of, but it was still fun to like to see 
I wonder where that's going. Right. Annie Potts, she's, she's so good. I loved her as Molly Ringwald's uh, best friend. Okay, uh, what else she got? Because mine's one big thing. Mine's like one big thing. Okay, so... go ahead with your sizzle. We're doing oh, both okay. the sizzles. So my sizzle, sizzle is basically one big thing, but I'll, I'll go into it a little deeper. It is The Breakfast Club. I know we just got done uh, talking about it, but okay. all five characters, uh, their stereotypes, whatever you want to call it, I can kind of relate to. I mean, the nerd, I'm really good at math and English. Plus, I like comic book films and superheroes and Star Wars. So I guess that's the nerd in me. Princess, as a theater actor and uh, that type of personality I have, or just sometimes my crankiness and my crabbiness, I can be a diva or act like a princess, I guess. The basket I've case. Seen that. The basket case or the basket outcast, case. whatever you want to call um, Ali Sheedy's character. With everything that's happened in my past, uh, there's some moments where I just want to be alone, where I feel like I'm an outcast or whatever. So I've definitely have had those moments. The jock, Emilio Estevez was a high school wrestler. I love wrestling. I've always wish I had gotten into it, um, like the WWF and stuff like that. I absolutely love that. So I like Emilio Estevez's character because of that. And he's a genuine nice guy. And then the rebel. There's lots of times where I'm just like John Bender. I'm a rebel. I don't like authority or rules. But going back to wrestling, that's why Stone Cold Steve Austin was my favorite WWE wrestler. There are times yeah. I just want to flip off the system. I just want to tell mm -hmm. you to get out of my face. I just want to. <laughs> I just want to just go all John Bender on them mm -hmm. and just disagree with everything you say. I definitely have those moments and those tendencies as well. So the Breakfast Club, all five of those characters, I can definitely relate to. Um, whether they're good or bad, uh, yeah. I've definitely have had those tendencies. So. Hashtag relatable. Yes, yes, definitely. All right, Hollywood, what's uh, some more of your sizzles? I only had that one sizzle. Okay. So if you have other sizzles as well. Yeah. I only had that one as well. So what's okay, your uh, fizzle get down, then? Get down to the fizzle. I only have one fizzle as well. Because I only have one as well. I really did generally enjoy watching these movies again for what they are. You know, they're not obviously, like like you said earlier, they didn't get Oscars. They're not like right. super deep, you know, but they are, for what they are, great movies for the most part. But there's one actor that I just cannot stand in any role that he's ever played. I think I know I, who's coming. Yeah, and I and it's easy to not like him, obviously, in the movie that he's in here, but... I I cannot stand James Peter. That is <laughs> hilarious. And like he's, you know, he's, you're not supposed to like him. Obviously he's kind of the bad guy, but if there were a different actor playing him, I, he may not have stuck out to me as, someone I didn't like but for some reason there's just something about James Peter yeah he's my fizzle I just and, the, and that's just my taste I the, guess. the funny thing is is whether it's Boston legal whether it's his little <laughs> um, office manager stunt um, in the in the office or mm -hmm. some of these 80s films that he's been in he he's seems so that snide yes jerk Yes, like. <laughs> he plays that so well. He plays so that character makes so well. Me think he plays it so well. He must be one. He might I be one. Know. Yeah. I haven't really looked into his personal life, whether he is or not. But I just have never liked him. It's called it's acting. Like, I think that his his acting was. I know it's called <laughs> acting, and I know his character's supposed to be that way. But if I was trying to think of something that's the only thing I didn't really like was, you know, the fizzle would be James Peter. Well, and he's also <laughs> um, now that I'm thinking about it, he's in the mannequin movie too. He 
He's this swarmy little punk guy that's trying to get Andrew McCarthy in trouble. Phil Weasley. And, yeah, Weasley. Yeah. Yes, he's a little weasel. Weasley. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so that's your only okay, fizzle. So what's yours? Your fizzle is James Spader, yeah. basically, right? All right. Yeah. Well, my fizzle. Look, I love John Hughes films. I enjoyed watching them. I enjoy going back to the '80s any chance I get. My fizzle, though, is I could not get into 16 Candles. I just couldn't get into it. I don't, yeah. I don't think it holds up well. I agree. I mean... Why I didn't have much to say about it. Long Duck Dong character could be... Yeah. Could be a little the racist. The comedy that's in there is racist. The the um, Some of the language and the jokes sometimes yeah. are just too, too far for our taste now. Yeah. And what we put in movies. The story yeah. so is... I definitely agree with that. The story's see. just okay. Okay. I mean, we talked about it a little bit before. Like, there was no date. They were missing each other, and then they end up together yeah. at the end. They're just staring at each other, and all of a sudden, like, now they're <laughs> kissing over a birthday cake. Right. <laughs> the characters are just okay. I mean, we see more yeah. of Anthony Michael Hall's Farmer Ted, the geek character, yeah. than we do of Jake than Ryan. Than we do of the lead person that she's right. madly in love with. Yeah. It's probably one of my least favorite John Hughes films, and that's my fifth. And I apologize to anyone who is a huge. Well, that's why I'm like sorry for any John. <laughs> yeah. Any James Spader fan, sorry, but if I had to rank my movie previews, obviously it's Breakfast Club. Then I would probably go Ferris Bueller, Stay Off, and then Pretty in Pink, and then way below, down below sea level, Sixteen Candles. What about you? <laughs> I would put Breakfast Club and then, well, actually, I... You really enjoyed Some Kind of Wonderful. Some Kind of Wonderful. You did enjoy that as well. I really, really liked that. So maybe I would have a tie for both Breakfast Club and Some Kind of Wonderful. Then it would be Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller, and Sixteen Candles. Okay, all right. Only because Ferris Bueller is a fun movie and stuff, but it's not like, it's never been like a favorite of mine to to kind of go back and watch over and over and over again. Like I can watch... But it's fun and entertaining. I can watch The Breakfast Club over and over again. It's one of those yeah. movies. Exactly. Breakfast where, Club, you can watch over and over. Yeah. If you're stuck on an island or if you, or whatever those questions are, mm-hmm. if you only had like five movies that you can watch over and over again on a loop, mm-hmm. you know, I think Breakfast Club could top, make my top five. Pretty the other one is only higher for me because I just love to look at the fashions and the music back then. And right. Oh, really, it was a lot more entertaining to me as a girl than Ferris Bueller's. <laughs> I could see that. Okay. So right now we're going to dig into our pop five. So um, if you're new to our podcast, uh, we always talk about the main topic. We do our sizzles and our fizzles. There, that has to do with the main topic or something else that's going on in pop culture. And then we like to also add our pop five list, whether it has to do with the main topic, which is this, this time it does. We are going to do the top or our favorite top five John Hughes characters. So we'll go back and forth. These are not in any order, but uh, Hollywood, I will let you go first give me your top five uh, john hughes characters and then i'll Are we going uh, in order because i kind of went up my well then give me your like number five yeah. give me your number five so number then, five uh, for me at the bottom okay. of the list okay still top five though is leah thompson in some kind of wonderful okay there's something about her just because she's like the essential 80s actor i mean she was from back to the future she's in one of my favorite 80s cheesy cheesy films Howard the Duck. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. She, I just, I like seeing her on screen. I think that she is, she's just 
She's great. And the role that she had there with Some Kind of Wonderful was was great. And I like that yeah, much else I, to say. I totally She's agree. Great. I mean, Her she, little dimple. She, was, she was a nice character, you know, even though she was on that upper class group of rich kids and stuff. And, and yeah. She's she's very pretty, and I'm I obviously you know love her work from Back to the Future films and stuff like that as well. Um, yeah, Leah Thompson, great number five. Uh, what was her character name in that? You can see why you can see why he was obsessed with. Yeah, he painted pictures of her though. Yeah, he did. Enough. He did. That's right. Uh, art museum. <laughs> That's right. I remember that. Okay, so my number five. Oh, I should know. Her name is Amanda. There was the song about her in the movie. Amanda. Oh yeah, yeah, Amanda. That's right. Okay, so my number five is Amelia Estevez. He plays Andrew in The Breakfast Club. He's yeah. a fun, nice guy jock. He fell into some peer pressure. He ends up bullying a kid by giving him an atomic wedgie. But he spends the time in uh, detention with the Breakfast Club group. Uh, he's actually a kind-hearted, nice kid. And so, and then he ends up, um, you know, falling for Ali Sheedy's basket case yeah. or outcast uh, character case, at, at the end. So I thought he was just, he just kind of got involved in some peer pressure. And uh, But I thought he was a uh, nice-hearted. He had a good character arc yes. from where you see him to where he ends up. Yeah. So that's my number five. Who's your number four? My number four, of course, we've already talked about her, and it's Annie Potts. I just love her character, like I said, um, in Pretty in Pink. She's just fantastic. Yeah, she she is fantastic. Okay, so I see your number four, and I raise <laughs> you a character that had a whole movie named after him, and I'm going to say Ferris Bueller is my number four, which probably okay. actually could be kind of low on this list, since, you yeah. know, but I have three other people that I enjoyed more than him. So he's okay. very creative, very creative in his ditching school methods. Like his, all of his stuff that he planned out with his snoring and his dummy in the bed and, and to all the activities that they were doing and, the, and the. <laughs> so I wish I would have came up with some of those ideas when I skipped almost half of my junior year of high school. I skipped <laughs> over a hundred days wow. of high school, uh, my junior year. Ben, I didn't know you were that yeah. much of a, wow. a rebel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll rebel. talk about you my really we're we'll talk about my rebelness uh, a little bit later, but um, yeah. On so, a side note, yeah. <laughs> but he he had so many creative things. I wish I would have been able to do any of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, he skipped nine to ten days of school. They were talking about. He lied to everyone. He got his friend's dad's Ferrari damaged. He he was basically a bad kid that you actually rooted for. Does that make sense? Like he was. Yeah. His character does bad things. Yeah. Like it's not right to lie to everybody and to get your friends into trouble and get your friends to, to skip out of He's school an with you. And to yeah. drive, you know, your friend's dad's very expensive Ferrari around town and then and then gets it wrecked. So he is a bad kid or a kid that does bad stuff that you're actually rooting for. I just kind of find that funny. <laughs> You know what in I mean? order to, yeah, I mean, if you could wish for the way that people would see you, <laughs> you would right. want to be like that. Right. All right. So, who is next for you? So, number three on my list is the one and only Ducky. Nice. <laughs> I, nice. I just, I had like remembering that movie before I saw it again recently. I probably was like, eh, Ducky, whatever. But seeing it again as an adult, I just have more of a appreciation for what he brought to the story, what he brought as a friendship with Molly Ringworld's character, 
Andy, what he um, just kind of represents as a whole and just being that creative, outside the box thinker, artsy kind of person in a role. And he was so good, John Cryer, with his, his kind of singing and dancing and just like really getting into his character and just being the crazy ducky character that he was. Number awesome. Three. That's your number three? Okay. Mm-hmm. My number three is, I'm going to go back to Ferris Bueller. His best friend, Cameron, played by Cleveland's <laughs> own Alan Ruff. His character mm-hmm. was so fun to watch. He did all these funny accents. I mean, the first time we see him, he's lying in bed. He's sick. He sings the, the his Cameron Egyptian yeah. song or whatever, you know. Um, and and then he does all these funny accents on the phone, pretending to be like the father. He's a really good friend to Ferris, even if it means he'll get into trouble with his dad and possibly his school. So I think he, I think just him as acting, I think his the character. I really enjoyed watching Cameron again. On the, I enjoyed him a little bit more than Ferris, you know, because he's just silly. I can definitely relate to him a little more than Ferris. Yeah. Because I've always been that more of a supportive friend, do anything for my friend kind of right. person. <laughs> Alright, you're number two? Number two. It was really kind of hard for me between the two people that I have for the top, number one and two. But for number two, I had to go with Allison Reynolds, aka the goth shy girl, aka basket case mm. from The Breakfast Club. Ali Sheedy. Okay. There is just so much unique everything to that character. Her and just the the random things that she does in her performance, being the basket case that everyone thinks she is, and just how I really relate to just feeling like the outsider and feeling like I'm always been that kind of crazy person that nobody understands. And I just really relate to I wanted to be that cool golf girl. Like I thought golf people were cool, right? <laughs> you know, even though I never was one. But I I don't know. I just really connect to the character and and how the character like the character arc where she evolves toward the end too and she can kind of have you know happy things that can happen as well so Ellie Sheedy I think her character her character and her performance were just so great I would like to see you as a goth Holly (laughs) right yeah I would like to see that that. and also that is another random question is where did they get the pretty pink dress or whatever it was that Ali Sheedy's character dresses up you know that she gets transformed into (laughs) this from, yeah. Yeah, where did that? They're in the library for crying out loud. Unless there was some lost and found and some girl completely lost her dress. Um,. <laughs> All right, so number two, for me, you've already mentioned him. Ducky, John Cryer. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love this character. He's so fun. He can dance. Yes. Like I said before, I love that try a little tenderness moment. Yeah. He's a good friend. I know how he feels. I can relate to him. I was, you know, always being in love with the girl, but always being the best friend. So I definitely love the Ducky character. And it was very nice to kind of go back down memory lane with his character um, this past weekend. So. All right, drum roll. Who's your number one? My top character number one on the pop five list is Watts from Some Kind of Wonderful. Played by Mary Stewart Masterson. Nice. (laughs) Like she was just, she's such a great actress. And all the movies that she did during that time period in the 80s. I mean, she's fabulous as an actress. Mary Stuart Masterson. But her character as well in Some Kind of Wonderful was so... Mary Stuart Masterson, her character in that movie was just so... had so much depth to what she brought. And like I said earlier when we 
talked about the movie and everything. I don't have anything else to really add about her other than what I've already said because I thought she was fantastic. I think that her character being a tomboy and being um, just looked at in certain ways and and for her to be able to show the way that she loved. Oh, uh, Eric Stoltz. Names, I'm kidding. Eric Stoltz. That's right. Eric Stoltz, yeah. So the way that she could show, you know, the actions and the ways that she just showed that she loved him and how she was just kind of pining for him all along and finally got to end up with him was just, you know, that character, you kind of really feel for her. And you, you know, as someone who also is has felt that way in the past, you know, like of like, oh, I'm going to put all my eggs into this basket with this person and think that they're going to, you know, eventually magically know that I love them, you know, and then for it to actually happen, you know, it's definitely a Hollywood ending. So I have to, to say that the Watts character, Mary Stuart Masterson, phenomenal. She and I was... just have to say that I love her because Benny and June is my ultimate, oh, ultimate, yes. Oh, yes. most favorite movie ever, 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 because Johnny Depp and Mary Stuart Masterson are gold in that movie. So anything you I see correct. with her in it, like fried green tomatoes, everything, yes. she is just phenomenal. So there you have it. She is the, like, I, like we said before, she's the female, little cooler version of Ducky. She actually gets the guy in the end. But she so, actually gets her yeah. ending. Exactly. But yeah, Mary Stuart Masterson as an actress is, uh, she's amazing too. And I also so, like Benny and June. Your... And we might have to do a little, uh, a little thing on Benny and June because I haven't seen that in a while. And well, so, Maybe we could do uh, yeah. maybe we could do something on Johnny Depp films or something, and then Benny and June would be one of them. So that would be amazing. <laughs> Sorry, my my pitch went up like so high. You so, mentioned Johnny Depp of not in the past five years, Johnny Depp, but in the eighties and nineties, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so future episode Johnny Depp podcast. Okay, so number my number one, one drum roll. If you haven't guessed already, who do you think it is? No, no. I went with Andrew to Ferris Bueller to Cameron to Ducky. I'm all over the place, but my number one, John Bender, the ultimate high school rebel. I, I love everything about him. I love his attitude. I love his wardrobe. It looks like he just went into his dad's closet <laughs> and threw on all of his clothes. Yeah. I can relate to him. Okay. Some of his family issues that he, he talked about, I can relate to him. He Maybe even gets the girl in the end. He gets the girl. He's the rebel. And he gets mm -hmm. the girl in the end. And he does that iconic fist bump in the air. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I love it. I love, and I, you know, it's probably wrong of me to say, but I love when he talks back to the principal and he just gets all attitude. I should have known you were going to pick him. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, and I, I don't let the rebel out too often, but when I do, I tell you what, I, I enjoy it. So, <laughs> did you have it like honor mention, honorable mentions? I had two. I'm trying to think. Um, as far as honorable mentions, I think everybody can probably already gather that I just loved Some Kind of Wonderful. So, yeah, that was pretty much like all the characters in that. I, I think we're just, you know, all three of them. So I guess if anything, I should probably also give a shout out to Eric Stoltz, to Eric Stoltz. <laughs> Um, because he had to, you know, weigh back and forth between the two women in his life or young True. ladies of his life. And, and for it to all make sense, he had to also put together a great performance so that it was all believable. So I guess I also have to give him all right. Okay. Well, my two honorable mentions, Anthony Michael Hall, I mean, just him as an actor, whether he's the geek in 16 Candles, the nerd in The Breakfast Club, or the, the genius dork in Weird Science, we didn't even get 
get to review that film. But just those, those, obviously he was typecast, but he also looks that part, and he plays it very well. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between each one, too. So, like, his geek Farmer Ted character is definitely different than his nerd Brian character that's in The Breakfast Club, who's kind of shy, and and, uh, and and then they're definitely different than the genius uh, dork character that he is in Weird Science. So I give him an honorable mention, and then my... <laughs> My other honorable mention is someone that you despise, uh. but James Spader, he is one of the ultimate rich, preppy, bad guys that you love to hate. And oh, like I his character in Pretty in Pink, I mean, and uh, some of the other stuff that he's done, he just always seems to be that jerk guy that you love to hate, and I think he does a very good job at it. <laughs> You know what I mean? So I give him my honorable yes, mention. We can agree to disagree. On <laughs> <laughs> All right. So everybody, that concludes our John Hughes uh, Back to School edition. Like we said before, we're going to have a John Hughes part two in a future episode where we will dig more into uh, some of his other iconic films like the uh, National Lampoon Vacation films, all three of those, or uh, Mr. Mom, or Home the Home Alone films, Uncle Buck. Some of his other iconic films. He's had so many. We couldn't put it all in one podcast. So we'll definitely come back. I'm looking at his list. He's all, He also, he was a part of uh, um, a little bit. He was uh, 101 Dalmatians, Flubber, uh, Beethoven. He wrote Made in Manhattan with Jennifer Lopez. Um, so he's got a lot of good stuff even out of the 80s that we will go into on another show. But we thank you for listening. Please check out our Pop Culture Shop Facebook page and put any comments in there. And if you have any questions, you can ask us. Like I said before, we also started a Patreon page. So you can go to patreon.com forward slash pop culture shop. That's all one word. Patreon.com forward slash pop culture shop. Three tiers. There's a dollar tier, five dollar tier, and ten dollar tier. All three tiers get you into the Discord chat room. Um, the dollar tier just includes the Discord chat room. But then the $5 and $10 tier gives you special show access and then a small or large pop culture shop prize as well. You can catch me on Instagram, Ben Gavitz on Instagram, or you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Gavitz. Holly, what's your contacts? You can find me on Instagram. It is at Hollywood801. Again, that's at Hollywood801. So find me on Instagram and see all the fun things I share. All right. So thank you everyone for listening. That concludes our podcasting. <laughs> so you guys have a wonderful week. My name is Ben Jammin. And I'm Hollywood. Have a safe and wonderful week and go see some films. Go watch movies.